All right, guys, we're back. We are yes! back indeed. That's right. <laughs> and we, listen, we want to kick off this next year talking about why there's hope, daggone it. That's right. Yeah, we're going to try to start off 2021 with this podcast with a little bit of exploration. We're going to talk about, you know, obviously 2020 was tremendously challenging and it's important for us to recognize that and we will. But we're also going to talk about why we should have hope going into 2021. And we're going to talk about some ways in which we can all position ourselves potentially for flourishing a little bit more this coming year. Yeah. And so we also want to say thanks for sticking with us through this break. Obviously, um, we as a group of two numbskulls trying to make the world a better place had some challenges here with 2020. Yeah, the, the understatement of the century. Uh, obviously, I, you know, per, and we'll talk about this a little bit more briefly today, but we'll, you know, I'm sure we'll del- delve into it more in future episodes. But it was incredibly challenging. If you haven't listened to our latest episode from 2020 back in November, you know, Chris released a short explanation of uh, what was going on. And, you know, my son was killed in an accident and it was incredibly challenging. Uh, and And yet we are hanging in there and we are committed to what we're doing here with the indigo podcast because we think it's important and it resonates with people all over the globe and that really means a lot to us so thank you for sticking with us and let's start talking about uh how 2020 was tremendously challenging for so many of us because it is important at this point of starting 2021 to recognize what we've been through yeah so people don't come to the indigo podcast for a bunch of mamby pamby kumbaya (laughs) <laughs> this isn't like we're not going to release a book about how brownies and hugs will get you to where you need to go in your executive career. Wait, I, that, <laughs> that's actually a pretty good idea. I, that kind of New York <laughs> selling best trash is not what we do here. That being said, hugs and brownies are great along the way. I had more than a few brownies during 2020. <laughs> that's right. As Ben looks at my chubby cheeks over the video chat. <laughs> But but we are going to stare into the abyss of 2020 and punch it in the eye. All right. And give it a big black one. So first, the pandemic. Yeah, that's oh I mean, my God. Obviously, the pandemic was and continues to be the defining story uh, for in, in terms of how it has affected all of our daily lives. Right. And, uh, you know, just looking at the data, there's a lot of many great organizations that are collecting the data on this. You know, one of my favorites is the. Johns Hopkins University um, has put together a dashboard, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. But, you know, almost 81 million people around the world have contracted the coronavirus, uh, just under, as of this recording, 1.8 million worldwide deaths, just under 340,000 deaths in the United States. And it, it has upended many people's lives. People have been directly affected uh, certainly if you had a loved one or a friend who did die and more and more of us are starting to have that experience, uh, or if you were simply affected in terms of disruptions to your work, your daily life, education, and many more aspects of how you go about your day. Yeah. And if you're one of those numbskulls that wants to jack pick these numbers, Oh, well, how do we know? Well, listen, we didn't even have enough testing kicking off. So it was most likely a lot more than 81 million globally, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. there's there's countries that don't have the resources for testing or public health facilities and the whole 
gamut. And countries that might have unreliable, we'll say, reporting of these statistics even. Right. So every people like to get conspiracy minded on this stuff because it's so big, right? Anytime. So I'm from Nashville before I moved out to Utah. And right, we just recently had a bombing. And that bombing was it's just unprecedented. Why? Who was this person? Immediate anytime there's that kind of ambiguity. Anytime you don't have the full faculties, and we talk about this in some of our earlier episodes around COVID and sense-making and all this kind of stuff, your brain as a survival mechanism goes into creative mode. Now, this is great if you work for Pixar or something. <laughs> Go, you be creative. Make you know children's screams fuel a monster city. I mean, that elevator pitch will get you a movie deal. But we don't need people getting movie deals on COVID-19 nitpicking the numbers. That's right. It's a lot, okay? Yeah. It's a lot. And it's unlikely that Joe Numskull out there has a way to be like, okay, so maybe it's 81.2 million. Maybe it's 79 million. It's hard to keep score on these. The guess what? The pros will say, you know, it's hard to keep score. So we've kind of have these guidelines as a professional scorekeepers for these kinds of things. It doesn't matter the exact piece. The thing is, is this pandemic is big. Yeah, right. It is It is significantly yep. worse than a flu. And just to say that it's just some, you know, it's easy to say it's some educated weenie out there, you know, driving his donut route or whatever. Sorry to donut delivery drivers everywhere, but I don't know. But anyway, somebody out there that's missing it. But I've had senior senior officers in the military tell me this is no worse than the flu. Yikes. And and I've I've had executives of all stripes. Some of these guys have good motivations, right? They're just I I I don't think it's that bad. You know, but that's coming from a visceral, emotional response. This is not a disciplined data gathering operation. So John Hopkins is a good resource, good data. This was a bad pandemic and we're not out yet. That's right. And so we are also posting a link in the show notes to an article from Johns Hopkins, which talks about COVID versus the flu and fairly clearly shows some data that strongly indicates that it is not the flu. It is worse than the flu. More people have died from it. More people get it and so forth. And so uh, I think we we can dispel that myth. And there are many other myths. Um, but I think we can all agree this has been a big deal for all of us in 2020. Um, and, you know, if you look at just the flu, for example, uh, you know, the World Health Organization estimates that between 290,000 to 650,000 people die of flu-related causes every year worldwide. And, you know, so take that at the high end, 650,000 from the flu compared with almost 1.8 million from COVID-19. I think they are different. So, you know, health aspects of this have certainly been a significant part of our lives and uh, are an ongoing unfolding story that we're living through. But we also have the economic impact that has come along with that pandemic. That has been a tremendous part of this entire year as well. Yeah. And we can't be myopic on these economic impacts. So if you are an executive at Amazon, you're like, oh, man, online ordering has never been higher. Mm -hmm. Woo. But if you're somebody whose restaurant lost, you know, half of their seating and they had to lay off half their staff. Or they had to close because, you know, they just couldn't make the bills work with 
that reduced seating and the high rent they have to pay, yep. then like this is something where certain aspects of the economy just got their rear end handed to them. Yeah. I mean, it, it, bad, bad, bad. And there was nothing they could do about it. Viable, good business models flushed based on a pandemic. Right. And it seems that, you know, the certainly the service and uh, hospitality industries, tourism, all of those have been hit extremely hard by this pandemic. And, you know, there's been disruptions in supply chains, uh, and, and that has certainly uh, caused a lot of problems. It has been a, a tremendous economic impact to so many people. Now, the research on these types of topics, this is something that is also unfolding. We were talking yesterday when we were preparing for this episode, Chris, about how it, I, it will take years for us to fully understand or to start to understand all of the different uh, outcomes of this pandemic on us in various ways, be it from an economic standpoint, be it from an educational standpoint, and so forth, uh, because these are very big, messy issues that take a lot of time to to do the research on. So that that knowledge will emerge, but I think we can safely say that it has disrupted the economic and financial stability for many, many people. Yeah, and one of the short shortcut thinking ways that I can't really get behind is people compare and they're like, well, look at Germany. Well, look at France. Look at the UK. All of those politicians have different cohorts of people in those countries and different thoughts about, well, like one of the big disruptions we had here, education disruptions, mm -hmm. right? So every every country, you know, now, if there was one person in control that could get everybody to do what they want, I mean, your planning could look a lot different, right? But we don't have that. We have, gosh, have you ever been to a PTA meeting, Ben? <laughs> you know, I haven't, but, um, you know, so <laughs> my wife is actually on, she's the treasurer of the PTO at our, at their school, but it's a smaller group where they, they tend to get things done pretty easily. But, um, you know, you're right that it, it can be difficult to try to come to consensus is, is where I think you're driving at, right? Yeah. You know, cause some of, some of the parents thought, well, it's ridiculous for kids to wear masks. They'll never wear masks or they'll come home with their neighbor, you know, their buddy's mask. Hey, I'll trade you my Superman mask for your Batman mask. And for our international listeners, PTO, PTA, that's a parent teachers organization. Right. It's where you sort stuff. But you know, we've all sat in there and you look over at that one parent and you're like, what is this person saying? Mm -hmm. And and we have that at scale in our country when it comes to what we should do with education. What should we do with the economy and different businesses? Yeah. Um, well, and in the face of ambiguity like this, experimentation is something that is helpful. That's something that we know. And so I actually think that it's it's probably good that we don't have all of these things being trying to, you know, someone at the top trying to sort everything out when you're in extreme ambiguity doesn't really work well. You know, so there have been various experiments that have gone on throughout our country, different school districts trying different things uh, and different states, for example, implementing different things um, to try to learn from it. Now, it's been a mess, right? It's a messy, messy process. It does seem like the, uh, you know, schools are not the super spreaders that we feared that they might be. So that is a good thing. But in terms of just the disruption, you know, kids learning at home, you know, I, I've watched my kindergartner, for example, try to do some stuff from home and the school is doing their best and they did a good job as best as they could be expected to do. Uh, but, you know, for a little kid, it, it is very difficult to stay engaged. I mean, it's, it's hard to stay engaged on those things when you're an adult. 
Uh, and, um, you know, so as a kid, very, very tricky. Uh, you can only imagine the, um, the, the tricky nature of trying to learn that way if you don't have, for example, awesome internet and a bunch of devices in your house for your kids to learn on. Uh, so I think that there, there certainly has been a disruption in education. Uh, that'll be another thing that I think that the education researchers will be looking at for a number of years and, and seeing how 2020 and, and beyond uh, have uh, influenced the learning outcomes for kids. And, uh, you know, I, my guess is that they'll, they may find some things. Um, the kids are, are resilient and can certainly catch up, but it has been hard uh, for, for people. And this has been especially hard, I think, for a lot of folks who, you know, their kids normally were at school. And so that was kind of daycare. But then it's like, oh, no, your kid is now virtually learning and maybe you're still working. How do you figure that out? So that has a certain uh, negative impact, certainly, on people's ability to function in their own professional lives. Now, I to I'm totally with you on the experimentation, Ben. The thing that needs to happen, though, is we need to be honest about hey, listen, I'm going to try this, you try that, let's compare notes in a minute, rather right. than, darn you and you're wrong not doing my my way. You know, no, that's not right. experimentation. That's And there is some stuff that can be done at the top, like yeah. wearing a mask. Here's the science on wearing a mask. Everyone that can wear a mask should wear a mask. Mm -hmm. You know, the, those kinds of things. And with the, you know, with the kids stuff alone, you know, we talked about how, hey, if you're at Amazon, it's great. You're full employment right now. But if you're Joe restaurant owner, you could be struggling really bad. People, not everybody has kids. And then certain people are in jobs, like to your point, where they just have to go to work. Mm -hmm. Right. And and a lot of these things got, unfortunately, how they how we slice the cake or view these. This lens was a part a politically partisan one. That's right. And I think that's another piece of 2020 that has been tremendously challenging and negative is that this threat, you know, of a pandemic should have been or maybe even could have been something that unified people and brought people together to try to find some common solutions or at least some ways to approach the issue. Uh, and, you know, because if we look at, for example, the research on groups, you know, when you have a group or a team that faces an external threat, it oftentimes can bring the group together. Um, now, that's a little bit different when you're talking about entire countries and so forth. But, you know, it really turned out to not be that way, at least in the United States. It turned out to be something where everything from wearing a mask or not to which expert do you listen to or not became politicized. And I just it just really really was a bummer yeah this this is just rife with the human condition because first of all any expert's gonna say you know if you say do you 100 percent know this about masks well no we we don't matter of fact gravity guys is a theory <laughs> and you know gravity doesn't always work you know that was part of the theory of relativity it breaks down at large mass and mass and high velocities so, but you don't go outside your front door being like, oh my gosh, I'm going to float away today. Right? right. And so, but people will drive a wedge between these areas of not a hundred percent uncertainty. And we're not even certain about gravity to the full right. extent. Right. Well, and, and people also have been, uh, you know, they'll, they'll throw rocks, for example, metaphorically at uh, Anthony Fauci. Right. So in the United States, he is 
certainly recognized as an expert in these areas. He's the director of the um, National Institute for Allergies and Infectious Diseases, which is part of the National uh, Institutes of Health. And, you know, they, they, they were throwing um, stones at him saying, well, you know, the beginning of the pandemic, he was saying that masks weren't, weren't something that was helpful. And then he changed his mind. And yeah, over time, you learn things and you, you adapt. That's kind of how science and expertise works. Uh, so when you want and expect 100% certainty and someone to never change their mind, that's crazy. That well, doesn't... And I'll take it one worse. I'll throw a bone to the, the numbskulls that want to throw a rock at Fauci, you know, that he's even admitted lately in New York Times articles that were, you know, I kind of knew this wasn't the case, but I, you know, went with my mm. gut at the time. And some of this is just public health messaging. Now, Senator Mark Rubio, and I think maybe even Ted Cruz said, look, he doesn't believe that we can decide for ourselves." Well, anyone in public health messaging, you know, one of the things is, hey, I tentative data shows that we might only need to have 60 to 70 percent or some odd people vaccinated to get to a herd immunity number. But my experience shows me that that will revise itself upwards as we get a large more data. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you say at that point as a public health? Do you go with what you know right now? And then what if it doesn't go up in the future? Are you considered a fear monger? You know, a lot of these public health messaging, any kind of governmental bend, you've had to do some PR in the Navy, I'm sure at, at some point where you have to pe- speak to the public a little bit. Um You try to go forward, but every time you're talking, you're thinking about, well, this could happen with it. But that that kind of milky toast message doesn't sell to the public. You have to be decisive at that moment. And the fact that, well, he knew it was going to go up and he just didn't quite communicate it at the time. Well, that's a pro call. That's not a (laughs) look, I got you. (laughs) Right, right. So I think that's another part of 2020 that's just been really challenging is the partisan nature with which all of this was handled. Uh, And then, you know, another thing that that, kind of came right in the middle of the year in the United States were many issues surrounding racial unrest that brought, I think, some good attention to certain issues. Uh, And, you know, I think that can be a place for moving forward, uh, but it certainly was challenging uh, for many people. And, you know, I think others would also say that, yeah, it's been challenging for a very, very long time. Now you all know about it a little bit more. So, uh, you know, again, uh, challenging year for, for so many people. Yeah, we don't get to pick when disasters happen. You know, life no. is what happens when you're making plans. And, you know, for the Black Lives Matter movement and stuff to, oh, well, gee, if it just happened during a non-pandemic year, we could really get that... It's not like problems in life that we have to deal with line themselves up in priority order so we can deal with them one at a time. No. And that's short-sighted thinking anyway, because we're resilient, we're capable, we're a society, we got teams of teams of teams. We can deal with more than one problem at a time. That's right. And so, of course, along with this, and this is something we've addressed many times during the past year in this podcast, is social isolation and, you know... For for people like you, Chris, that's that's a problem. I think, right? I I want to cuddle everybody after this. <laughs> I just like let me let me hug you. <laughs> <laughs> the, we got the vaccine. It's over. You know, it's like 
But wait a minute. I don't even get that kind of release because once we get the vaccine, there's like all this phased in approach. We don't know if the vaccine prevents you from spreading it. The thing is, the way we get our social supports, the things by which we build our lives around. For some people, it's sports. They like to get together. Some people have a local bowling league, Mm -hmm. um, a book club, um, places of worship and these kinds of things. These are the things that everybody, based on who they are as a person and their needs for community versus, you know, some people are introverts and need more alone time. It doesn't matter. Everybody builds their life in that community. And something like the pandemic and everything that's gone on this year disrupts those social supports. Right. Yeah, I I have not personally um, really missed hugging people. Um, It was funny. I was. I was telling my wife this. I was like, you know, I, I'm, I'll, I'll be kind of glad if we don't go back to the, like the huggy, huggy, kissy, kissy thing, you know, when when you're meeting relatives and people like. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's Did just you me, have right? like a weird aunt or something that ruined you. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. it wasn't that. It's I don't know. I'm just yeah, I'm, I'm slightly more introverted than you, I think, Chris. But um, so that's been a challenge for for many people. And, I, you know, even for me, I, I'm like, you know, goodness sakes, it would be great to be able to get together more. It would be, you know, celebrating the holidays, trying to do those types of things is really challenging. And then, you know, so many of us have had personal challenges on top of all of this other gunk that was 2020. Um, Certainly people have had relatives and friends who have died from COVID. They have had people who have gotten sick from COVID. Uh, They have had people who have gotten sick and, and maybe even passed away from other things, right? Um, I certainly, as all of you know, if you've listened and paid attention, had a tremendous challenge thrown at me in early November when my son was riding his bike and was hit by a car and he died. Uh, That has been tremendously challenging, as you can probably only imagine unless it's happened to you. Uh, And it's something that, you know, I am currently still dealing with and will be dealing with probably in an acute manner for the next two to three years and in other ways for the rest of my life. It will never be something that will go away. Um, so that has been a, certainly a huge challenge. And coming in the middle of COVID, you know, having trying to set up a funeral while thinking we don't want this to be a super spreader event. Um, fortunately, you know, the, the church that we go to is fairly uh, large physically, so they are able to, we, could, we could plan it out and we have a limited attendance at the funeral and we we're able to do things in a safe way. But it was it was really tricky. And, uh, you know, so dealing with all that health challenges with uh, parents who are growing older, all of those issues combined have made 2020 by far the worst year in my life thus far. Um, You know, there have been bright spots. There have been good things that have happened, but it has been very challenging. Yeah, I. I, you know, I was at the funeral and that definitely you know it's not even my child but that was the saddest day saddest day i've had and you know the the me the internet's full of all those memes you know 2020 can you know some version of 2020 can go jump in the lake yeah but but let's let's talk about now that we've looked into the face of the bear let's punch it in the mouth right (laughs) let's talk about why we should have hope going into 2021 yeah. Now, so just a quick recap, pandemic, massive political polarization that's coming to head like a bad pimple. Um, Black Lives Matter. I mean, there, there's just every, everything stacked. All of our political dysfunction and gridlock 
and all of that stuff. All right. So we we got it all out there. This is the chessboard of shenanigans we had this past year. But then when we started this episode prepping yesterday, it was like, man, what should we do an episode on as a kind of we're coming back? And, and we were both like, let's there's so much hope to have. There is hope. There there is always hope. And I think there are some specific reasons why we should be hopeful. And we must be hopeful going into 2021. Uh, I think for one thing, you know, coming out of any challenge, any tragedy, you have to have hope. You have to have that that hardiness, that sense of purpose and meaning in order to uh, continue moving forward in a productive way psychologically. That That is a good thing. Um, it has been incredibly challenging for millions of people around the world this year. Uh, it hasn't been a nightmare across the board. Uh, you know, it's very difficult to kind of contextualize the pandemic, for example, because there's so many different ways that you can view it personally. You know, you ask the person who's um, parents had to die alone because of this. I mean, that they're going to certainly have a, a, a very uh, unique and valid perspective on the pandemic. Um, then there are people who maybe got it and had, you know, mild symptoms and they'll have another perspective. But the global view here is that, you know, this was serious. Um, but many people, many people rose to the challenge. And despite the political bickering, despite the shenanigans, despite the jackwagons and numbskulls that we have encountered throughout this year, we have seen acts of, you know, heroism, acts of bravery. We have seen people be innovative. People have risen to the challenge individually and in groups through this, this miracle of organization that we can do as humans. And that has given me hope, and it gives me hope going into this next year. Yeah. This has got to be a rally cry. Okay. You know, the minute you get hit by the storm, all of a sudden on your sailboat, oh, shoot, you got to pull down the sails. I mean, you get lost and this is really bad. Mm -hmm. But well, we've, we've, we've taken the hit, guys. We're now decisively engaged in all of this stuff. And it's time for us, right, to pull up our pants and get on with it. And we've seen medical professionals do it while facing the moral injury of this is a hoax and this is baloney and that they go in, you know, you see the pictures of them with their PPE is just rub their face raw and all that stuff. Well, you know what? They're getting to work every day. Yeah. Now we got to get to work as a society. I am not a person of faith. Ben absolutely is. But for my friends that are people of faith, you got to dig into that faith. Do you really believe that your higher power isn't aware of what's going on? And how can you participate with that? I don't see like, you know, because I come out of the Christian faith, you know, I think of all those stories where the disciples were like, I don't know, Jesus, you know, <laughs> this is uh, so bad. And he's like, come on, you jackwagons. Let's get rid of it. We got to save the world here. <laughs> and so not that I'm Jesus, but us at the Indigo podcast are saying, all right, jackwagons, we can't. And this is the greatest generation thing during World War II. There right. Everybody got on with it to make the world a better place. They were facing, you know, legitimate. Everybody likes to call each other Hitler. Their political enemies are all Hitler. But like, <laughs> we are not facing Hitler here. The enemies and problems that we have are self-inflicted uh, as a society at large, and it takes everyday leaders. And look at yourself in the mirror. You're that everyday leader. Um, or I think of that scripture, you know, 
Look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. And, you know, who's going to go out and harvest the wheat? That's right. And, and, and it's like, here I am, God, mm-hmm. send me. And so even if you're not a person of faith, you look at these problems out there, you need to say, well, who's going to do something about this? Well, I wish somebody in the government would just get on with it, would you? Would somebody come up with a perfect plan that won't cause any polarization, <laughs> racialization? It, there's no such thing, guys. You got to step into this messy, sticky, yucky fray and show some gosh darn leadership. The I leader like is the one who steps up. It's time for everyone to take an at bat here. That's right. And, you know, one bright spot that we certainly saw during this past year that just gives me hope in our ability as professionals, as humans, as organizers, as leaders, is the science and research focus that just came to, to, to a forefront and came to bear on this problem of the pandemic, right? Um, there's a great article in The Atlantic that we'll post a link to talking about, you know, what a tremendous achievement it has been to develop a vaccine for COVID this quickly. Uh, It is is on par with, you know, (laughs) on par perhaps with landing on the moon um, in terms of the scientific, uh, the harnessing of scientific knowledge and expertise um, and speed with which it happened. They had the, I believe they had the, the virus fully sequenced um, back in January of 2020, they immediately started working on the vaccine. And normally these things take years to do. Um, and it is remarkable. Both my my brother and his wife, my sister-in-law, they both recently got the vaccine. They're they're both healthcare workers. Um, and you know, it's it's amazing that this is happening so quickly. And I hope that it, and this is a reason for hope, that it gives us some um some hope going into 2021 that we will be able to, during the course of this next year. Uh, come to get this thing under control. Yeah, this was a Manhattan Project for disease solutioning, right? Yeah. And the, what the was the sci- Manhattan Project, Chris? That's where we made the uh, the atom bomb, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's, Just that, for that people who thing. don't know, right? Now it's a, a major uh, a major <laughs> so- harnessing of engineering and scientific expertise that came to bear on on the problem um, of uh, making <laughs> making new weapons, right? Well, and this is what's great about it. I want to use this as a prototype for every one of you that are out there, that you guys are leaders. I mean, we hear from you. You're aspiring executives, senior level executives, CEOs. You guys, most of you are already leaders, but this needs to be the prototype. Those scientists didn't say, they're like, oh, I don't know. Some of these people think what we're doing is a hoax over here. They didn't give a rip. They're like, hey, we see what's going on. We know what we need to do. And they got their keisters to work. Mm-hmm. And they solved it. Now everybody, oh, well, now the vaccine. Well, it's a vaccine. They don't even care. So listen, you don't have to worry about everything being perfect and solved, right? You don't have to even work, worry about the 100% solution. Everyone needs to just get to with their realm of influence and who they know, what they know, and start making things better. Um, just like the guys that came up with the COVID vaccine and got to work. And while they were doing it, people at the Defense Logistics Agency was planning out, hey, we don't even have a vaccine, but we got to be ready to take it by rail, by train, plane, and automobile all over the place to get it done. Oh, we're going to need freezers. So everybody's doing that. Now, are they worried about, well, gee, there's riots in Portland right now. Sure, sure they are as a citizen. But does that stop what they're doing every day? I mean, this is a time that we've got to pick ourselves up and get to work. 
It's time to get to work, guys. That's right. And, you know, one thing that we saw during this past year, which has been remarkable and I th- should be inspiring to all of us, are the healthcare workers just showing true devotion to their profession, getting out there and doing their work despite the risks, um, despite the challenges, figuring things out and doing what they were trained to do. Uh, that is just, to me, really inspiring when you think about, um, you know, doing your duty and feeling like you have a duty to do something uh, and, and taking the reins when you can. I think that's just that's just fantastic. It's a story of 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 human uh, humans rising to the challenge and helping other people through a tough time. Uh, so, you know, I think there's just this resilience that we have seen of humans. Um, we are oftentimes able to do much more than we think we can. Uh, you know, when we have something happen to us, uh, speaking both personally of my own situation of the past couple months, speaking also in terms of what we have experienced collectively during the past year, we have made some huge changes in, for example, education, how we deliver education, how we do our business, how we go about our work lives. And we are able to change when we need to. And that is a lesson that we need to remember so that we can face adversity in the future in a similar way. Yeah. So outside, leaving some of the pandemic stuff behind, right? Because we've kind of beat that horse. But boo pandemic. (laughs) Boo pandemic. That's right. (laughs) But organizations immediately had to adapt. You know, we were talking to people who said, you know, if we wanted to bring all our workforce home to work from home, it would have taken us like two and a half years and millions and millions and millions of dollars and a lot of consultants and blah, 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 blah. We did it in a week, week and a half and, and like no money. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, there's some executive going like, why can't we harness this regular? Well, like when we talk with our friend Mike Richardson, right? A lot of the creativity that you want to maintain in your organization is to do the work of triage without the emergency. Yeah. Well, do yeah, doing the work of the crisis without the crisis, right? right? That's what he says. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So so the idea is we, we it was proven that we could adapt in ways that we were thought we always thought were impossible. So when people say, "Well, people are too polarized. It's impossible." Man, shut up. Shut up. That is stinking thinking. <laughs> you know, they, they said we couldn't go to the moon and then we did. Right. right. The human would never have a powered flight. And they, we, we did. And so you, we just haven't gotten there yet. And that's the challenge of life is we got to live in the now and the not yet. But and we do that by getting to work and trying to be more creative. One of the phrases that I like to use that comes from the design thinking out of the agile world is how might we? Mm-hmm. So rather than we can't, how might we get along better here? How might right. our organization better support those people with children and not good child care support? Mm-hmm. You know, the, these kinds of things. And that's one of the things that we've been blown away with that we hear from former clients and other professionals who know is just how rapid the organizational innovation was during this time. Right. If they would have tried to plan out, you know, bringing everybody home, for example, to work uh, remotely. It would have taken, you know, a year or so to make that plan and get those policies and those procedures in place. And, you know, this happens and they're like, well, I guess we're going to do this in a week. And it happens. Right. And it's just amazing to see that. So uh, I think there is a lot of hope. I I am renewed in my hope and my inspiration for the human uh, ability 
to to do great things when we work together and our ability to organize is truly fantastic. So, you know, Chris, specifically for you, what are some things that you're hopeful about going into this next year? Well, I'm hopeful that a new pragmatism can emerge. You know, there's been a lot of this either or thinking, black and white thinking. But, you know, so a lot of the ways that we change, you know, we talked about, oh, man, organizations really developed and evolved and they did all this stuff. Some of the ways they did that was were horrible. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they were. This was the worst idea to how to change your workforce during a pandemic. Now, does anybody go into those decisions thinking, gee, how can I really screw up my organization right now? (laughs) No. And, you know, some of that stuff derails and there's still the garbage, you know, self-seeking, self-promoting behaviors that you'll see in human beings anywhere. Right. That's not just executives that do that. That's every level. Um, I'm hopeful that a new pragmatism arises to where we can say, listen, we're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We're still going to, however, acknowledge that there's issues and problems with the ways that we make decisions. And we're just going to keep improving. Because mm-hmm. that, that's, what, that's what we do, right? And, um, you know, there are some ideas that are just flat out false. There's some ideas that are 100% correct, like the earth is round. Um, and there's some ideas that are some blend. And I think I'm, I'm hopeful for a pragmatism to emerge where we can start to view and have better solving um, abilities as organizations, not just as individuals. But as organizations, what about That's you, great. Ben? What What are you hopeful for 2021? Well, I'm hopeful for for many things. I think I would I have, you know, your your point about pragmatism and being trying trying to work together and solve problems and so forth. I think that that certainly resonates with me. I'm hopeful specifically that I, I'm that we are going to be able to emerge from this pandemic at some point during 2021. I don't know when. Uh, but it'll happen at some point, I hope, and that will be a good thing. I am hopeful that because of that, that we are able to uh, rebound in the economy in certain ways, that we are going to experience new ways of doing things, and we're going to start flourishing again in that aspect of of our life writ large. Um, you know, I'm I'm hopeful that uh, we're that people are going to view 2021. Uh, as a fresh start, and that we're going to, you know, maybe a- approach and deal with our each other with a little bit more dignity and respect. That we're going to find ways uh, to continue to work together to make the world a better place, because that's what it really takes. Um, I-, I think there there's much to be hopeful for uh, when we look at the new year. I I like we did actually did an episode last year around this time on on New Year's resolutions and stuff. And I like the new year for many reasons. I, I Even though it's somewhat arbitrary, you know, it's like, oh, well, it's another date. So I guess I'm going to start, you know, I'm going to fix myself. Um, but I think there, there, it is helpful. I think it's, it's a useful psychological mechanism for us to think about trying to do things in a new way. And uh, so I think there are great reasons for hope here. Yeah. Another piece of my hope is how, people do eventually get tired of wallowing and they just get on with it. It's time, mm-hmm. time to make things better. You know, you see all, all forms of that kind of stuff, you know, happen. So, um, you know, what was, there was a piece of subway graffiti that said after the plague, the Renaissance. Mm. And I was like, yeah, 
we know what's the renaissance going to look like after this plague yeah and and start to get pumped and motivated because really if you don't if you don't start looking that way so hope by by itself does nothing it gives you maybe a, a dopamine jolt of emotion right <laughs> but that hope needs to release your imagination that it, then it motivates us to do something like what we're talking about to get on with it to take it at bat so Ben, let's talk about ways in which we can position ourselves for flourishing this year. Because the hope is not enough. It's got to, <laughs> it's got to release that mental renaissance. Yes. And then we got to do something. You yeah. know, you can't have. You know, if Leonardo da Vinci and those guys, man, what are they just those incredible brains? And they just thought up the Mona Lisa and the right. Sistine Chapel, and they're like, man, that would be really cool if somebody did that. And then they just died doing nothing. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I, I agree. Hope is not a strategy. And I think it's similar to, you know, as as we Catholics like to say, faith without good works is dead. So, you know, we got to do something with it. And there are a handful of, of things that I think, you know, you, you and I brainstormed around thinking, what can we do to, to really position ourselves for flourishing in this new year? And, you know, number one is we do need to continue dealing with this pandemic. Okay, a vaccine has been developed. Several vaccines have been developed. People are starting to get them. It's going to still take a while, folks. Like, let's just be realistic. It's still going to take months. Uh, this thing has dragged on longer than many people thought it would. And it will take a while for this to still um, get under control. So you got to keep wearing your mask. You got to keep on uh, socially distancing and taking the precautions you need to. Uh, don't be a jack wagon out there saying that this stuff is not going to help. Um, you need to be sensible with your own precautions that can help. Yeah. So are masks hundred percent effective? No. no. Does that mean they're still helpful? Yes. yes. Just like our seatbelts, <laughs> are they going to keep you 100% from all automobile injuries? No, but you still buckle up for safety, right? <laughs> so, all right. Another thing you do when the vaccine comes out, get the vaccine. Right. Don't be an anti-vaxxer, uh, just in general, but especially in, in, in with this one, uh, get the vaccine. It has gone through, uh, you know, enough scientific study and um, rigorous scrutiny uh, that you can take the vaccine, get it when it's available, when you can, when when your when your number is up to be able to get it, go ahead and do it. That will help us as a collective um, to get through this thing. Uh, and you know, learn learn about it so that you can also encourage other people to take it uh, if they're hesitant and and don't want to take it. Um, I understand the skepticism that sometimes can occur uh, with various things in our public forum. Uh, at the same time, this is one of those things where I think we need to get on board and take the vaccine um, for our own good and for the good of everyone around us. So this is a point where self-education really counts. You guys can't just float. I've seen lots of people like, wear a mask. If you don't wear a mask, you're the worst person in the world. Wear a mask, wear a mask. And you ask me like, well, what about the argument that masks aren't 100% effective? The science says wear a mask. And that's not a conversation. So if somebody says, no. hey, well, masks don't work 100%. And then you're like, hey, man, you're right. Um, but they actually don't have to to be worth wearing. Yeah. Do you see the difference in the tone there? You know, you have got to be, if you want to be a leader during this time, if you want to be part of the renaissance that makes 2021 better, you've got to get into the nuance so you can have a non-spiteful conversation with somebody across the aisle. And that means there's just two types of arguments, guys. 
there's a straw man argument. So Ben says, I hate tomatoes. And then, <laughs> and then I go out into the public forum, like, can you believe Ben hates all red fruit? And yes, that's right. <laughs> tomatoes are fruits, Americans. But uh, that that's, sets up an argument that looks like his, but isn't. It sets up a straw man effigy. And then I beat the fire out of that effigy. Well, that's not fair to Ben. And that's right. actually what we call intellectual dishonesty. That is being dishonest in the public forum. You, my friend, if you do that, are a liar. All right? Now, the other side of the argument, this is a better. You don't want a straw man argument. You want a steel man argument. So a steel man argument is where you understand the other side's view so well that you can say, hey, so what you're saying is this, right? And they'll be like, man, I, I wish I could have described it that good myself. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. So I, I understand what you're saying, right? Yeah, absolutely. I feel good about that. All right, let me tell you where the problem is. All right. right. And so this is this idea. Some of these things that I find out when I wade into the other side, because, you know, no, wear a mask. Well, masks aren't 100% effective. Well, you're right. But did you know that they don't have to be 100% effective to work? That has such a different tone than the screaming at each other. And it's laziness, guys. Especially if you're, if you're the smarter person. You say, well, why should I have to go convince all these people? Well, who else is going to do it? <laughs> what? You know, obviously, they didn't get it through in K through 12 or what. It doesn't matter. Nature, nurture, it doesn't matter, right? So, but like things you can find, some of the things is, is point out opposing truths with grace is how Ben puts it. And I love this. So Bill Gates can't be a virus maker trying to take over the world with the Chinese and allotted businessmen that should be praised by everyone in the U.S., right? <laughs> like, but either he's a diabolical, I mean, th there are shades of gray in people. Uh, or here's another one. There's no scientific consensus on climate change. So uh, all the scientists don't really believe this that study climate change versus there's an organized cabal of scientists that are trying to subvert contrary opinion. <laughs> like you, you, you can't, both of those can't exist. And, and lots of time, it's just because there's so much coming at us, especially in 2020. Oh my gosh, was there so much that our sense making has been overwhelmed. And if you've done the reading, well, first of all, if you haven't done the reading, get out and do the reading and understand these critical items that are challenging us now. Or if you see a problem in society that you want to own, be an expert on that topic. At least know where the experts are, where the conversation is. That's right? right. So I think part of this is really trying to seek some understanding before you condemn some other point of view, right? This is where this goes back to your steel man idea, all right? The idea that you really want to understand all sides of an issue before you just start to spout off whatever the last thing you heard from your favorite commentator or the latest meme that you saw on Facebook, uh, you know, I, I get it. We like certainty as humans. That's why all this stuff can, can really prey on us. We like certainty. We don't like ambiguity. We like black and white. We like, this is right, this is wrong. This is what you should do. This is what you should not do. And some things are very easy with that. Um, but when we take that approach towards arguing with each other, it, it, it very rarely changes people's minds. You know, actually, one of the funnier memes I've seen on Facebook was one that said, 
you know, number of people that are times that I've changed my mind because of Facebook. And it's like a little pie graph is like, you know, zero. It, so, you know, we just don't, that doesn't help. Um, if you are, by the way, this is just a personal thing. If you are going to share stuff on Facebook, make sure that it's like good stuff. Oh my gosh. I, I am sick and tired <laughs> of seeing people from my past life from, you know, who I've known for years who I used to think perhaps were smart and educated and informed who share stuff that is ill-informed, that is clickbait, that is just pandering to the extremes. That That's lazy. It's, it's not helpful. And in fact, it's harmful for our discourse among each other. It's, it's harmful for how we get to some understanding that is helpful for moving us forward. I stop that. Yeah. That, and this is, this is where leadership is doing the right thing, even when it's painful. And so sometimes that me, you know, well, listen, I just trust the experts on vast. And it's like, yeah, but you've found yourself in a community of people that are very mask skeptical. Well, mm -hmm. then you just got to do the work and get on the PR train because it's easy to hate somebody up at the federal government or some guy at the CDC in Atlanta that you don't even know, but it's way harder to hate your neighbor that goes to your bowling league with you. Right. right? So that's why it, ev this requires everyday leaders. And I love that. We need to capture that. This is the Renaissance of 2021 and it requires everyday leadership like, well, the people listening to this podcast, right? Yeah. Yeah. And in, in addition to being maybe the Renaissance coming after, you know, the dark ages here or the plague, uh, you know, one other thing that comes to mind is, you know, what happened after the, the, the flu epidemic of 1918? Well, it was the roaring twenties and people got dressed up for no reason all the time. And I, I'm looking forward to that too. So <laughs> one, you, thing you can do, one thing you can do to flourish in this year is when we can associate with each other in person and do so in a safe manner, um, you know, put on some time fun for clothes some and, swing and, and, dancing. That's right. And yeah. Enjoy yourselves and, uh, and flourish with each other there. I, I just think that's great. All right. So the other piece, we've got to curate a good public forum. Yeah. Right. So that means on social media saying, I don't know if that sounds right. You know, maybe you don't say <laughs> that's the biggest bunch of hullabaloo I've ever heard. You know, no, it's like, Hey, I don't know if that sounds right. Help me understand. Hey, well, you actually didn't do the research there. I, and you don't attack them. You didn't do the research, you moron. It's, right. And it didn't do the research. And I'm concerned that's not helpful for how we talk because we want to make good decisions as a community, right? <laughs> or, or, you know, I've had a couple conversations with some friends that have kids and I just like, well, I, I hear you, but you know, if we had to distill this into a lesson for our kids, right? Because we don't even know, like, did you know when you were growing up that you're going to face a pandemic and and race riots and all kinds of different stuff that's going on and organizational challenge, I would have never thought. And so, and, you know, my dad says this all the time, who was on a podcast, you know, all this was different than when I was. And he came up through the 60s and the Vietnam War and all that stuff, right? So listen, we can't just say, this is what we did on this. We got to develop an operating system for the subsequent generation. So one of those things is like, Hey man, how how can we distill the way we make decisions for our kids that'll help them face the novel challenges that we can't even guess about? Right. And another piece of this is to police your own side, which means, you know, we all have 
political, we all have uh, ideological, other types of sides, quote unquote, with which we have sympathy that we gravitate towards, positions that we hold, things that we think are true. Uh, now, just because someone who is saying something on your side is is you know spouting off, well, you need to ensure that they're doing it in a gracious and thoughtful way as well, um, because that's part of this whole intellectual honesty, this um, this pragmatic approach towards dispelling and uh, and squashing the the dishonesty out there that we really need to have. Um, so you know, take care of your own backyard. If someone on on your side of an issue is making an argument in a way that that is completely unhelpful, don't just be like rah rah yeah yeah that's that's exactly right. Don't pile on. You know, try to curate that in a way that is more helpful for the public discourse. Yeah. And almost a thousand percent of the time, not quite a thousand percent, but almost (laughs) you cannot take on challenging topics with a meme. Right. You know, memes generate a ha ha ha. It's a schadenfreude, the the pleasure at somebody else's unfortune. You know, it, it triggers that kind of I got you vibe. Memes they can be funny. Sure, share them on your own side. Do it in closed doors if you just need to, if you need that kind of chuckle. But I would, I'd do some moral internal quests about why do I really need to feel this mm. one-upsmanship with another person? Like, what yeah. what's going on internally that I need that kind of validation? Because in the end, I don't care who's right or wrong. I just want us to quickly exert better thinking processes better decisions, better conversations, so we can move to a better place. Because do I care that they used to think bloodletting was a good solution for disease back in the day? No, because nobody does bloodletting now. (laughs) We're not, you know, I can't say we're not using leeches because we can use leeches to put on, you know, cut off fingers and stuff. But, you know, the idea of the, the baloney of the past doesn't have to dictate our future. So let's not do it. Let's also give people a way to escape. Like sometimes the ego and the pride can be a real speed bump for somebody jumping off an idea that they're like, ooh, I have the wrong idea, but the kind of face. So that means we got to give our politicians out. You know, (laughs) if, if they were a flat earther that now thinks the earth is round, we shouldn't we shouldn't be like, but look at you back in 1983. Flip flopper. That's, yeah, I flip flopped on a bunch of things because guess what? I learned I'm a dis- different person than I was than right. when, when I was in fourth grade or college. And another, well, I mean, your sense of humor is still fourth grade for sure, as is mine. But um, <laughs> in terms, another way to think about this, which I think is productive, is when we are having conversations with people, when we are interacting, solving problems, going about our work and our personal lives here in 2021, one way we which we can flourish a little bit more is if we start to really see each other as humans, uh, we start to you know see that as the, the good and the bad. We realize that we are flawed people too. And you know, treating other people at, at that level, I think, can be productive. Because um, like you said, it is so easy to you know, attack the you know, anonymous person you know that the centers for disease control and prevention or someone in dc some politician you don't know it's a lot harder to you know do that in person or you know with someone you know um i think if we start to treat everyone 
as humans. I think we'll have a better way forward. Right. Um, you know, so I've been working um, with the public health department in my county, and I call people as helping with that, the contact tracing program to say, you know, hey, ma'am or sir, you know, you know, have you checked your results for your COVID test? And, um, oh, no, we hadn't. Or and, was, and letting people know some of these, hey, you have COVID. And, you know, I hear the range, some of the angst about I don't want to quarantine or mass or I don't want to get tested has to do with financial anxiety about how they're going to provide for their family because maybe they're a contract worker mm. or they don't have some of these protections that we have. I mean, there's a patchwork here. Leading with empathy is the only way to get to the other side. I mean, if I didn't know how I could put food in my mouth this week for my family, my reaction to a whole host of things would be different because I, I'm in a stressed state. We have in the military, Ben, we do all the research about people's decision making under acute stress. And it it's not as good as when you're just sitting in a classroom. No. Right. You know, what do we call it? The armchair quarterback or whatever, you know, <laughs> syndrome. You know, we can't armchair quarterback where everybody is and where they're coming from. So you got to lead with empathy. Yeah. So, Ben, so how are you going to position yourself to flourish this year? Well, I think, you know, some of the things we've already talked about are certainly things that I'm going to do. But, you know, more specifically, you know, I'll be working uh, to come up with all the different things that I'm going to do in the new year to turn myself into something other than the bag of trash that I am. Um, you know, I'm going to start. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start eating healthy. No, um, you know, there are a handful of things that I'm going to try to do. And I think one of them has to do with being even more selective about how I spend my time and my effort and making sure that the moments that I'm devoting to something are pieces of my life that I wouldn't regret, you know, having spent that time doing, um, be it working on worthwhile projects that make the world a little bit better, be it spending time with my family, uh, or some other professional or personal pursuit. I want to ensure that I'm starting to even do a more, much more rigorous job of eliminating distractions. It's very easy today to be distracted. And, you know, part of that is social media. Part of that is the 24-7 news cycle. And, you know, part of that I like to engage in because, you know, I have somewhat of a public persona with this podcast, being a professor, all those types of things. Um, but at the same time, I don't want to get sucked down the rabbit hole of distraction. So eliminating distractions uh, to the best of my ability is certainly part of that. Um, you know, I think... You also have a bit of a uh, jolt to your system when you experience tragedies. Uh, and I think part of that for me has been, you know, making sure that I am spending my time in good ways. Um, you know, I think we have great things going on here in the podcast. Uh, certainly we'll be devoting time to that. So one way I'm positioning my, myself to flourish is, hey, <laughs> we're kicking off the new year by getting the podcast back going. Um, and, you know, there are other things that I, I certainly will be doing this year to, to try to flourish more, but um, I am looking forward to, to 2021 and will certainly be doing my best to approach every situation with hope, with uh, possibility, and trying to uh, get the most out of all the opportunities that are out there uh, to, to make this world better. Right. So for me, the, this podcast is my passion. 
what what we're doing here. Um, I've spent the last time in the pandemic, you know, outside of helping our clients and, and doing all that kind of stuff, engaging in forums um, on the web that are smaller community, maybe they're community based and that kind of thing. Talk doing the very kind of stuff I'm talking about, where I'm not going in to necessarily criticize poli- people's political ideas. I but it's more like helping clean up the public forum. Like, wait a minute, that that wasn't very fair to that other person's argument. Maybe you could try again. You know, these kinds of things. Um, I know I've been in small town Facebook forums um, that, you know, I get messages from people. I said, I never really heard somebody describe why we should wear masks in that way. Now, I'm thinking because of the people I'm around, like, well, what? It, wait. But right. this is where you can have such an impact. So if you've got a small town, you know, we talk about the urban rural divide. Um, if you got a small town nearby or if you live in a small town, get onto those Facebook conversations. And it's not that you have to have some slug out debate. But I mean, so this is what I'm doing. I'm getting out there and teaching through example items like rhetoric and, you know, good debate, you know, methodologies that are fair, um, building a bigger conversation rather than a smaller conversation. So I want to do that. I want to get our podcast widely, widely, uh, you know, I guess the word syndicated and out there. You know, we continue to grow, which has been incredible. And it's all around this idea of evidence-based thinking. You know, this morning I woke up to this horrible article. It was saying Michael Flynn, a former general, is supporting QAnon conspiracies. Now, Ben, we've seen executives that are bad faith. These guys are snakes in the grass, scoundrels, and they'll they'll sell ice to an Eskimo type thing. You know, they, mm-hmm. they, they are just not ethical people at all. And so we want to make a place for people that do want to be ethical, that do want to win the right way, also known as good sportsmanship. Right. You shake right. after the game. You don't just walk off shooting the bird at the other side. Right. You know. So the people that want to win, hey, we hear you. We know that there's snakes in the grass out there and you got to navigate. So I want to put tools into people like, here's how you win in a toxic culture. Here's how you win with the snakes in the grass and create the kind of society that we see both here in the U.S. and, in, and even between societies globally. You know, that, those are the kinds of things that I'm, I'm passionate about. And I got to lose this COVID-19 that I gained. outstanding so those are certainly some great ways in which you are positioning yourself to flourish uh this next year and you know um i just want to as we we start to come down the home stretch here of today's episode just really thank everyone again for sticking with us through the break that we had in november and december of 2020 uh we i certainly appreciate all of the the thoughts and the notes and everything that that people have have reached out to us, um, you know, in the in the past two months about uh, about what happened to me and my family. Um, you know, we're not really sure what our upcoming release cadence is going to look like, um, but we are going to ease on in as best as we are able. And you know, we have uh, a handful of great guests that we we had to cancel um, during November, uh, but we're going to bring them back and we're going to do those episodes. We have. Uh, our own episodes that you and I are going to do, Chris. And I am really looking forward to making the Indigo podcast something that is 
even more helpful for everyone out there and bring some light, some inspiration, and some evidence-based practices into your lives to help you flourish at work and beyond. Yeah. So get out there. Let everybody know the boys are back in town. All right. <laughs> that means get on LinkedIn and you got to share this. That means harassing your coworkers, uh, your spouses. Heck, if your kids aren't listeners yet and you want to raise them correctly, get them on the <laughs> Indigo podcast. If you are not a bad parent, make your kids listen to the Indigo podcast. Yeah, there that, you go. <laughs> we only do this with you. We don't have, I don't know, we don't have, we don't get to go on CNN and tell everybody about our podcast. So we need you. And we know how it easy how easy it is to socially loaf to say, you know, I can't wait for an episode of the Indigo podcast. I listen all the time and not do anything. Remember, after the plague, the renaissance, help us be part of that renaissance. You guys be everyday leaders out there and lead that renaissance in your community. Awesome. So in today's episode, we talked about why there's hope. We talked about how 2020 was tremendously challenging, why we should have hope going into 2021, and some ways in which we can all position ourselves for flourishing in this coming year. Thanks for listening to the Indigo Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us by rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, telling your friends about us, having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com, where you can access more information about us and this episode. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.